If you have a Bible with you, you can open it to Daniel chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen. Or we trust you with your phone, so we're not going to assume you're on, you know, Instagram or something. So you might have a favorite app on your phone for reading your Bible or highlighting things. Go for it. So Daniel is a book of the Bible that is teaching God's people what it means to live as exiles in the world. An exile is someone who finds themselves in a kingdom, a government, a culture to which they, they don't really belong. And we oftentimes can forget that this is not just a story in the Bible that has kind of like a nice little moral lesson and, you know, gives you a good opportunity to break out your old school flannel graph or, or you know, make up a song about Daniel and the lion's den. But that God's people would have been reading this early on in the first century, even as the Roman government was controlling their lives in so many ways, and they would have been looking back to Daniel and saying, what does it mean to be God's people under a, a rule that is not Christ? And, and as the church today, we need to learn these lessons as well. And so the book of Daniel can help us to do that, to know who we are, wherever we are, whenever we are, regardless of what time in history we find ourselves and in what kingdom, government, culture that we may be. And so uh, this is why we're going through Daniel. This morning we have a really long chapter. And so we're going to read this whole chapter, but not right now. We're going we're to kind of just embed it as we go through. But I think we would be robbing ourselves of one of the blessings of, of going through books of the Bible if we didn't really read it all. Because our, our hope is not in some sort of opinion that I have to say or share, which obviously is going to be woven in here. That's why we often pray that if, if what I say is wrong, that it'll just bounce off your head, you know, and not even go in. But we believe that whenever God's word is brought to God's people, is that God's spirit takes that and he pierces down into our hearts, to our motives and to our intentions and to our interpretations. And we believe that God will do that again today. And that is our only hope. And so, God, we ask you now, as we come to Daniel chapter 2, that you would help us to have ears to hear. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine your word for us, that you would put the spotlight on Jesus. We pray that today we would, would not just hear this story that happened to Daniel, but that we would live into it, that we would know that it is ours as the people of God, that we would remember Daniel not merely as some figure of history, but we would see that he's a part of our family. He's, he's in our family tree today in Christ. That this is our, our story, our forefather, our ancestor. And we pray, God, that you would help us most of all to remember Jesus, the better Daniel, who walks with us today as exiles in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my friends recently encouraged me to watch a YouTube video. I don't know if he was wanting to just put me in the deep throes of depression or what, but it was a YouTube video that was called A Time Lapse of the End of the World. And so I don't know if you've seen this or not, but if you want to go watch 30 minutes of the world just gradually uh, dissolving and burning up into nothing, beginning with our nice little planet Earth, and then out into the rest of the universe, you might want to do that today. Who knows, some of you might be the type like me that when you're already in a bad mood, you just want to like really make it worse, right? What's the most depressing music I can listen to? What's the most depressing video I can watch? So this will help you get there, right? You can just sit there and say, oh, everything is going to burn up into total nothingness. I knew it. And so as, as I watched that video, and I actually did go and watch it, it, it was... It was depressing, but at the same point, it was, it was quite sad uh, because what this video, I believe, really was aiming to do was to show us that really in the end of it all, we're kind of just trapped in this doomed existence. That there's really no hope because we live in what we might call a closed system. So when I'm talking about a closed system, I'm thinking of, of a world or even a universe, say, that, that was represented in this room right now. And we're just kind of stuck in this. And whatever's happening in here is all that there really is. 
And this is sometimes how we feel. Uh, whether you realize it or not, there, there are people right now studying marriages in labs, saying this is, this is, what, uh, this is what causes the relationships not to work. It's just something to observe. It's just science. There are people who uh, would look at concepts like love, and they would say, that's a nice idea, but basically all love is is the firing of certain neurons in relationship to the firing of a certain other person's neurons and chemical responses between bodies that have arisen out of uh, certain social situations that sort of bring somebody together. We live in a world that has at times little place not merely for mystery but for meaning. In our age of being addicted to technology and, and in our age of, of technological not just advances but even understandings of what it means to be human, when the big, hard things of life happen, we just feel like we're stuck in the time-lapse video of inevitable destruction. Some of you in here today, no doubt, feel maybe very broken in certain places of your life. You're just like, why am I like this? Why does it matter? Others of you in here just burn out on life, on on classes, on, on work, on relationships, and you're starting to think, well, nothing I do is ever enough, so why does it matter? And others of you are just completely bored, wanting to fill up dead space in your life because it seems there's no purpose. But what God reveals to us in his word and through his gospel is that we do not live in a closed system universe. Now this may be kind of an extreme idea for many in our culture, but we believe that there is a God who is other, a God who is holy, a God who is, big word here, but you got it, transcendent. That there is a beyond and there is a God there, a God who is good, a God who doesn't play hide and seek. Not this deistic creator that sort of said, hey, I think I'm just going to kind of see what it would be like to create a universe and get it started, and now I'll go over here on vacation, and then now all of a sudden I come back and look and like, wow, that really messed up. That was a failed experiment. So now I'll just jump over here and maybe create another world. We'll see how that goes. No, but the gospel tells us of a God who is creator and a God who comes with us who walks with humanity in the cool of the day from the very beginning, and even his creation rebels and his people rebel, but he doesn't turn away and leave us all to just burn into nothingness or to just figure out some sort of socially accepted, culturally conditioned way to get along in the meantime, but who meets us in his son who inhabits us with his spirit. But the only way that we are able to live in this world with such big questions that we have oftentimes such little to go on is through a reliance on God's revelation. A reliance on God's revealed wisdoms for these big questions in life that can give us hope as exiles. So the first thing we see in our text here today is we have to rely on God's wisdoms when interpretations and opinions are not enough. In the first verse we see this, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. He's having this dream, he's, he's upset, he's restless, he can't reconcile what's happened. And so he begins to reach for an answer. Verse 2, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. These were the knowers of the day. These were the professionals of the day. Today we might say he brought in the, the scientists. 
He brought in the psychiatrist. He brought in the, the enchanters even of our day. Not that any of those things are necessarily right or wrong or bad in this sense, but this would be sort of a connection. Verse 3, And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your house shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you're trying to gain time because you see that this word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Now, if you didn't catch it, here's what's happening. Here's the real crux of the matter. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just want these guys to tell him the interpretation of the dream. He wants them, him, them to tell him the actual dream. And he's ruthlessly intent on this. And the reason is, is Nebuchadnezzar, for all of his sort of wildness, as we'll see as this character developing in this book, he, he knows that they can just come up with something. I mean, if I was to come to you right now and said, I had a dream that a pink elephant, you know, was babysitting my children in a boat in a lake, you could be like, all right, I think the pink elephant represents your great-grandmother. That time she took you on a picnic, and you could, you could do all this, and I might be like, yeah, I, that might make sense. But for all I know is you're just making stuff up, Right? And when it comes to professionals like this, professional makers-upper of stuff, they're really good at it. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, I don't want to play around here. I want to know that you can really tell me this because I'm very troubled by what has happened. And we don't know either. He can't even remember it, maybe. Have you ever had a dream that you couldn't remember but you're just really troubled over it? I certainly have. So it could be that. Or it could be that, that he remembers parts of it, but not all of it. Or it could be that he just really wants to test them. And so Nebuchadnezzar here is ruthless. He's playing God because that's what this ancient Near Eastern king does. But I want to suggest that there is a certain level at which he's actually being reasonable. He's actually being reasonable. He wants to see and make sure that he actually has a interpretation and answer that comes with an authority that is more than the opinions of man. One modern day philosopher, Charles Taylor, has written a, a, a giant book about a life in a secular age, and if, you, if you're interested in this type of philosophical study and dealing with doubt and how to live in our world, I'd recommend a, a, not that book, even though you may be smart enough to read it, but a smaller one. It's called How Not to Be Secular, by another philosopher called James, called named James K. Smith. His name is James K. Smith. And what, what's argued in this that is so interesting is that we live in a world today that has, has kind of shifted, maybe not so much in Cleveland, Tennessee, but guess what? Coming soon to a Cleveland near you, uh, where, where people out there in the world, you're not going to go and talk to them, and they're going to be talking to you on the assumption that there is any type of God or any type of divine but that things have so shifted, and now it's, it's okay to believe in God, but only is one among many options. And actually, increasingly in, in our society, it's the most problematic option. 
So it's cool. You believe in your God. Do your thing. As long as it's one among many options and realize it's kind of the biggest problem one. And so as you go to talk to people who have big questions, who want the, the big answers, is that oftentimes we find people who honestly are not even taking God seriously. But what he points out in, in his work is that they're almost not taking God seriously. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a, a 21st century resident of Cleveland, Tennessee. He wasn't a person who took the God of Israel seriously. These enchanters, musicians, Chaldeans represented other gods, other worldviews. Excuse me. But there's this ache within him, this longing, this divinely given assumption is surely there's more. I remember Cassie and I going for a, a routine well visit uh, for our second child or what was then our second child. And, you know, we, we were in Louisville at the time, and you, you go, and you, you know, we usually tried to make a day out of it or something, so we're going to go hear the baby's heartbeat and maybe see some ultrasound stuff, and then we'll go have lunch. You know, it'll be a fun day. And I, I remember sitting there, been asking myself lately, why do, we, why do we remember certain things and not other things? I think that means it's probably significant, even if we don't know why. Because there's a lot of things I forgot, and honestly, a lot of important things sometimes. If you're in a relationship with me, you'd know that. But remember that, and remember her walking out with the nurse practitioner, or whatever the right name was, and thinking, something's not right here. And just remember this sort of clinical explanation that our baby was dead. And if any of you have ever experienced any, anything analogous to that type of jolting experience, explaining what happened really isn't very helpful. A scientific explanation for this is, this is how this took place within the womb or, or even whatever your suffering is, to have someone come alongside you in that pain, in that world, and put their arms around you and say, well, I, I just want you to know this is what happened. You might want to punch them in the throat. You might look a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar. I'm troubled. I'm restless. And I don't want people just coming out with theories or techniques. I need something more. And I believe because of what God's word says about how we were all created, as Ecclesiastes says, that eternity is within us. We're longing for it. Is that even in 21st century America, in Cleveland, Tennessee, there are many people sitting here today, starting with me, but people who don't even really have God on their radar this morning. It was sleep-in day, NFL season. That ache is there. They don't just want to know what is happening. They want to know why things happen. We were created for a metaphysical reality. And what I mean by that is something beyond just what you can touch, taste, smell, feel, and see. We were created for a meta-narrative reality. And what I mean with that is a, a story that is bigger than all other stories that find themselves wrapping around our hearts and minds. And the world is hungry for this. We're hungry for this. But we can't give this ourselves. The magicians, the enchanters, and the Chaldeans are right. What you are asking for is God. 
they say, the gods don't dwell with men. There's a chasm that's too big to be crossed. That's why many people, sadly, even within Christian cultures and Christian world would say, there may be a truth out there, there may be an answer, but guess what? The chasm is too big to cross. We're just too fallen. We're just too broken. So well-meaning people who want to bring humility into conversations that we need leave us with the same hollow ending. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says it this way, They're always learning and never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. That wasn't a praise. That was a picture of a dangerous infection within the people of God. Always learning, always willing to float some new theory, always willing to float some new technique, but never having anywhere to stand in a world trying to seduce us and to shape us into an image that will never give us the joy the laughter and the love that the Father has for us in His kingdom. Well, you may be thinking, well, that sounds easier said than done. And I agree. So let's keep going. So we have to rely on God's revealed wisdom not only when our, our human interpretations and opinions aren't enough, but also when the, that divine insight isn't easy. It's not, it's not just readily attainable. It's not like God just sends you a, a letter in your mail every morning saying, hey, here's what you need to know to get through this day faithfully. Wouldn't that be nice? Only problem is we'd receive it, and if you're like me, we'd say, well, thank you very much, God. I don't need you anymore as long as I have your little letter here. You know, no need for a relationship with you. And if we're all honest, I'm going to be honest. I Oftentimes, that's what I want. I just want God Tell me what to do so that I don't have to be dependent on him every second of my life. But we see what happens here. Verse 16, actually verse 14. We'll have to read fast here in a minute. Might have overpromised at the beginning of reading it all. Anyway, I meant well. Verse 14. Verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or better known as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're, they're a part of these people. They're going to be killed too. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. This, underlining this again, the, the second half of the book of Daniel is going to be this apocalyptic sort of literature stuff, but this is primarily a book about wisdom. So this is why this is emphasized. He, he replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, and he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar's losing it again. Verse 16, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now this is faith. This is bold. Because a couple background questions. Has Daniel received this interpretation yet? Nope. Does Daniel have anything to say? Nope. And this man holds Daniel's life in his hands, and he just, he's like, I'm not just going to lay down here and die. And he steps up with great faith and promises what he's not even yet received. Verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel has great faith here, but we also see he has friends. Daniel just doesn't just say, oh wow, life is hard, we're about to die, I've promised more than I can deliver, but it's just me, it's my burden to bear, I don't want to be a burden on anybody else. No, he, he calls his friends to join him in this. His friends who share his identity. His friends who share his faith. 
And he asked them to pray with him. To pray with him. And God answers their prayer. And so Daniel offers this praise. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, somebody said, this is, this is good, I like this. Daniel the musical, something I read, right? I've never thought of that before. In these books where like all of a sudden they break out into song and praise. So this is a poem. So if you're like musicals, if you don't, it's still good. But anyway. <laughs> Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the God, the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my Father, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel is not in this relationship of God of just give me the answers, God, so I can get on with my life have my control, have my comfort, or have my approval, or have my safety. No, he lives in this relational experience and, and walk with God so that as God gives him answer to his prayer, he gives God praise. He responds to God from the heart. He responds to God here even poetically, powerfully praising him and pointing us to what God is wanting to show us in this chapter not as we'll see in a minute primarily what all of the details of this vision mean but of a God who is the God of wisdom and might in a world where we find ourselves in circumstances that are way out of our control and then he goes forward in boldness in verses 24 through 30 just summarize this. I, I, I won't be able to read it all. He goes in. He tells uh, Arioch, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king. I'll give the interpretation. And Daniel gives praise to God. Notice verse 27 is the king asks if he can give the interpretation. Daniel answers the king and says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries so important he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be but as for me this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living so not because I'm the smartest guy in my class because I've studied more worked harder had a better family had more opportunities not because of any wisdom that I've had more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in, an, in the escape room experience, but I did that one time, and it was, it was quite intense. One of the reasons that made it intense is because me and four other guys were in competition against another group of guys in another escape room. And so what could have maybe just been a night of fun was a night of, of, of silly guys trying to prove their manhood by escaping out of an imaginary <laughs> room situation. But anyway, so I felt really lost in that. I was getting overwhelmed by the pressure, but we won. We won. No thanks to me. Three things made a big difference. If you've ever did an escape room, I don't know if this is true to every escape room, but it was true to ours. In that escape room, there was a book, and that book gave us some instructions and directions, some clues oftentimes in the form of riddles or things that were hard to understand. The good thing was, is we didn't only have the book, we had a team. We had people with various gifts, people with various levels of intelligence, people, some people who were good with their heads, some people who were good with their hands. 
And we also at a certain point had this promise from the worker who was with our room. And I don't know if this is normal, but she said, if, if time's getting closer to running out and you need help, you can ask for a hint. Those three things were so helpful for us getting out of that. And as I thought about the situation that Daniel found himself in, I thought about the situations we find ourselves in. Sometimes life can feel like we're in an escape room. We feel like we're pressured. We've got to find the answers. We've got to get out of this. And more is way more is at stake than just kind of your ego and your pride of winning or beating the time or beating another group. But it seems like sometimes a very sanity that we need to survive. I thought about how we feel like we're in that, and sometimes we can feel like we're so alone. And I thought if it would have just been me in that room trying to figure out how to get out of this by myself, I would have just been a, a losing matter. The same is true in so many situations. I could tell you situations even within the life of our church this very week and in the life of our home where it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm sure you could share those. God wants to remind us that he is not a God who has left us alone in those situations. He's not said, hey, here's life. It, I know it stinks. Good luck. It may feel like that, but the reality is, is that God has given us a book. That is not just a, a man-made book doing its best to fill in the gaps of history, but what we know as the word of God. But at times it's very difficult to understand what it means and how it applies to our lives. God's given us a team. He's given us friends who can help us discern what it means to live into this story when we find ourselves in situations that we don't know what to do. Where it takes more than the intellect that God's even given us as individuals, the emotional intelligence He's given us, or even the gifts and skills. But we oftentimes forget that we have a better helper than the escape room helper. God's given us His Holy Spirit. In much of our cultures, at least ones that I've came from before, uh, we can tend to think that once God gave you the Bible, you don't really need the Holy Spirit anymore. I mean, here it is. People will say things like this. If the Holy Spirit had any more to lead you into in your life, then, you know, we would need to add it to the Bible. You know, Holy Spirit, not necessary. Now we have the Bible. But as inspired and truth-filled and reliable and perfect as I believe and am convinced the Word of God is, God has not called us to live our life in relationship to a book. He has called us to live our life in relationship to Him. Daniel probably knew all of the written revelation of God up to that point better than you ever will. But when it came time to live that out, he needed a word from beyond. He needed a a, a leadership of the person of the Holy Spirit to navigate this. There can be no talk of biblical wisdom apart from an ever-deepening dependence on the Spirit of God. It begins with our faith like Daniel did. We have to believe that we can know truth. In a world that would tell you, and even some Christian circles that would tell you, you can't know truth. We have to believe that the Bible says on its own terms that we can. And you're thinking, but what about all the details and all the disagreements? Well, the Bible doesn't say that we can know everything exhaustively, but it says we can know some things truly. Don't fall for that false dichotomy. Well, if you can't know everything, that, that means you can't know anything. No, the Bible says you can know some things. And you might still have a lot of questions. That's okay. 
But don't say just because I can't know everything doesn't mean that God doesn't tell me anything. And you think, well, what about postmodern linguistics and Jacques Derrida and Foucault and Stanley Fish? You know who these guys are. I know some of you people are reading this in school. You're going to have to study this stuff. And you're going to be told that, that language is just a tool that people use to oppress others. It's a power play. But the Bible has a different view of language and a different view of life. And Jacques Derrida has the audacity to believe that he has written the only book people can't understand. I mean, the circular reasoning and the irony that comes in so much of that thought is as if you can't understand anything is true except what I'm writing right now. Listen to the podcast, right? Oh, all of these arrogant... Christians who think that you can actually know stuff and believe it and live off of it. Except our podcast. You actually can live off of it. No, God gives us hope that though we are fallen, finite image bearers, that he has created us to know him through his revealing of himself. And that through his word, through his community that works together in humble discussion and through his Holy Spirit that we can know his Son. And it's Jesus that is the center of all our interpretive hopes. It's walking with him. It's why when we read in John chapter 1, it says Jesus was the Word. The Word became flesh. The Chaldeans say, the gods can't dwell with men. And the gospel says God has dwelt with men. Is that Jesus came into this world as the interpretation of all of God's truth. As the center of all logic and all mystery that holds all things together. It's the one who meets us where we are in our mess and says look to me. The one who is the revelation of God. The one who died for all of con the confusion and chaos in our own hearts and in the world around us. And the one who gives us in the flesh that metaphysical reality and that meta-narrative hope. And then he gives us his spirit who indwells us and walks with us. First Corinthians 2.12 says this, and we'll just have to pick this up next week, the second half. Says, now ha we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. I want to read that again. This is, this is big stuff. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us from God. We need the Spirit to understand the things of God and who we are, but we've been given the Spirit. Verse 13, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you are in Christ today, you have that Spirit that allows you not just to, to read God's word, but to know God through his word and all he's given you in his word. And you may think, well, this, that's Old Testament stuff and that's the Apostle Paul, but what about the apostles as Jesus prepares them to face persecution? Basically, how is Jesus going to prepare his apostles, his disciples, to live as exiles in a world under an oppressive government. He says this in Luke 12, 11, and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We find ourselves in a world with many hard questions, trapped in the time-lapse videos that say nothing matters and there's nothing you can do about it. 
But the gospel tells us of a father who is creator, of a son who is redeemer, and of a spirit who indwells us and gives us the wisdom of God to navigate the hard turns of this world. But like Daniel, he doesn't want us to do it alone. We need to be so humble. We don't need to think that we can take our Bible off into our little corner and figure out everything. We need each other. We need church history. We need to pray as we ponder the path that He would call us to walk. We need to praise as He did. And then we need to live with boldness. Relying on God's revealed wisdom as we walk in our wrecked world. Father, we thank you for the good news that is ours in Christ. We thank you, God, for this wisdom we see in Daniel 2 and we'll continue to see next week. We thank you, God, that you have not left us alone, that you've given us the true story of the world. Thank you that you've given us the big truths that don't answer all of us our nagging questions, but can settle our restless hearts. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Well, as we put our eyes on Jesus each week, we hear his invitation to his table. And we do this each week because our goal as God's people when we gather is to not just be reoriented around a certain lesson or a message, but to be oriented around the one who is the word of God, and that is Jesus himself. But before we come to his table, we like to prepare our hearts so that we might meaningfully engage with one another in that exiled friendship that we have and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus although we ask you not to take of the cup and the bread we ask you to come and stand with us because we want you to hear us as we enjoy the gospel together we want you to know that to be a Christian is not to be forced to attend some kind of Sunday gathering and check that off your list so that you don't have to feel guilty the rest of the week when you're around somebody in your family who follows Jesus but we really love him because he has really loved us so the first question that I ask before we go is, am I following Jesus? For those of us, particularly from the religious south, have I only believed he could save me later? Or do I, have I really believed he can satisfy me now? Have I only given him my afterlife? Or have I actually given him my life? Because that's what it means to be his. If you are a follower of Jesus, to ask yourself this question, am I unreconciled with someone who is my brother or sister? The Lord's table is a sign where we declare our unity with Jesus, but also the unity that we have with one another. And it may not be that right now is the fitting time for you to address that, but it is the fitting time for you to realize that and to ask God's Spirit to give you wisdom to walk in that. Now if you bow your heads and close your eyes, we want to we ask right now that the Holy Spirit would apply His Word to our lives and give us things that we can share at the table to ask for encouragement for others and maybe offer it. So here are some questions. What is the gospel to the idols you worship today? We often summarize these idols in four ways. One is maybe it's an idol of control. Maybe you need to confess that or confess the gospel over that at the table. Maybe it's an idol of approval. Maybe it's an idol of performance. Or maybe it's an idol of comfort. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you might reveal what the gospel is to the lies that we're believing. We believe there's a real enemy who's whispering lies in our ears all the time to cast doubt upon God's word and doubt upon who he has said we are in his son. And lastly, what is the gospel to the wounds or the wounds you carry? Maybe you need to ask for healing today for others to pray for you at the table. Or maybe you need to confess how 
Jesus is tenderly dressing those wounds. Even as you grow in a deeper trust that he has brought healing for you. The last question, who is the Holy Spirit leading you to encourage? Maybe right now. Maybe you need to find a table where someone is. Or maybe later. Someone not here. Someone in your everyday life. God, we thank you right now for this opportunity that we have to taste and see that you are good. We pray that we would truly rest in the finished work of Christ and in the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit together. In Jesus' name this time if you're new just follow the crowd to the various tables uh, we we have one set up up here up front if that's a new one but there's one here there's two in the hallways and one in the back of the room here for you to shuffle around and find where you feel most comfortable. There'll be someone to lead at each table.
stand and we'll sing our last song. gather and scatter. And one way that we scatter together to live as exiles in our city as good news is through what we call missional communities, which are simply, fam we say, families of servant missionaries sent to make disciples among particular people groups in our city and in everyday life. And so, uh, Cody right here, raise your hand. If you're interested in Foundation House, connecting with them, this is a, a nonprofit here in our city that helps uh, mothers and really just families on the other side of a crisis pregnancy to get uh, some some firm rooting under their feet. Uh, you can talk to him about that, or he can point you to some others in there. MC uh, Val, raise your hand. Val, everybody knows Val Magnolia Avenue, the neighborhood beside Lee University that seeks to live the 
family on mission there if you'd like to know more talk with him and then uh, me uh, I'm rusty if you don't know that but this neighborhood of Blythe Oldfield we uh, uh, work together as a family on mission here and so each of us have family meals on Wednesday nights that you're welcome to and uh, I just want to encourage you to lean in there if you want to see what we really mean when we talk about living these things out together but we also know not everybody can do that we're all busy we have schedules and so we don't say oh here's the real Christians uh, if they if we see them Wednesday it's not that at all so there's some other ways that you might can connect and it may just start we want to have coffee with somebody and so you can do that with me but we really want to be a church that's not all about the pastor so I if you want to have coffee with somebody uh, my email's down here, but I might connect you with somebody else so you can see it's, I'm not just making stuff up. Uh, also, fight club. Uh, this is where we beat each other up so that we feel alive. No. Uh, Gender-specific groups where we read God's word together and encourage one another in the gospel and the fight against sin and suffering. Uh, can connect you there. Common mission. So you might say, I have a family meal, all that stuff doesn't work. But man, if there's ever anything at the foundation house they need help with, I'd love to be able to do that. Got any yards that need mowed in the neighborhood here for widows? We do. I, got, I, I probably have some time for that. Uh, Magnolia Avenue, you just have to talk to Val about that. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we can connect you in those ways. Everyday mission. You may be like, I need some help learning what it means to just live into my vocation, my job, or in college let us know well, somebody will sit down with you we'd love to do that and then Sunday gathering you might say I like working with sound or set up and tear down everybody loves that or I'd like to help with children you can email me here rusty at matthewstable.church and we want to find a way that, that fits in your season of life so that you can, can serve the world through God's local church so you can give as well online or in the black box on the way out but as we're sent today, uh, here we go. Those who would raise their right hand, that makes you feel awkward, you don't have to, but we just believe it's a sign of agreement before the Lord. Hear this blessing as you go out, a blessing for the road. Beloved, God made you and you really matter. God sees you and draws near. God knows you and gives grace. God welcomes you and you belong. God loves you because he loves you. God likes you because you're his detailed work of art. God will not forsake you because you're his chosen child. God has redeemed you so you are free. God lives in you so you are never alone. God empowers you so you are sent now as his servant missionary. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go and live the church.